0: today on Ag News
1: Daily. It's almost looking that way in beans. I think today, you know, we saw in the November 1235 catch it and hold it. Um, that ended up being the, the low side. We did close right at that level today. So it's super important for us to kind of hold that 1235 range. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Market Monday here on
0: the Ag News Daily podcast. Howell joined today by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, I am joining everyone today from Colorado. Delaney, you have certainly been doing
2: a lot of traveling, and I feel like the majority of that travel has been to Colorado within the past couple of
0: months. That's true. Uh, Well, cats out of the bag. I'm getting married in Colorado next summer, so we've been coming out here more frequently to do some wedding planning. We got engaged out here. I just love Colorado, and honestly, this time of year, Ashen is gorgeous. The trees have been changing colors out here in the mountains, and so we've seen shades of golds and browns and yellows and reds and i just love this time of year i'm surprised that you guys could get out there with harvest season well i am just on this trip with my mom so blaine is still in the field you're absolutely right he wasn't going to take a break to uh, come out and do any wedding planning i don't blame him but we had to do a tasting event the other day for the wedding so i was like oh this is just a good excuse to have a little quick weekend trip out here so yeah, it's been fun. I love going out here.
2: Well, Delaney, speaking of harvest, I'm going to go ahead and just kick things off and talk about tar spot. It's something that we have been talking about quite a bit since folks have gotten moving in the field, and it looks like it is spreading east, which really isn't a good sign. Um, not very hopeful, but I am hoping that we get to nail down an interview about tar spot because from some of the articles I've read, there are still some things that folks can do in the fields to help with tar spot or at least help with yields. So hopefully we can nail something down, but it
0: looks like tar spot is
2: on the move.
0: It certainly sounds that way, Ashton. And yeah, hopefully we can chat with an agronomist about that. Um, But something else that's been on the move lately in the news has been, well, a couple of things really. And I know you've got the story on China and I haven't had time to look at that one today. So I'll let you add some clarity there, but we also got a story today out from the USDA about Secretary Vilsack, who has announced some new steps that the department is going to take to address the meat industry's concern or the industry concern about meat consolidation, protein consolidation. So among the steps that he released today for his new plan is a new loan guarantee program that will expand and look at expanding meat processing capacity, especially in those smaller facilities to avoid any sort of slowdowns and bottlenecks that we've seen here throughout the pandemic. So of course, as we know, this has been a key target during this administration with different plans and pitches largely revolving around supporting, again, those small area butchers as an alternative. And officials in the administration believe that these smaller processors could be a key player here in this overall um, goal of trying to increase transparency in the protein industry, as well as just ensuring that these bottlenecks don't happen again. So a little bit of an announcement there from the Biden administration, Ashton. Well, like you said there, Delaney, I have
2: some news coming, I was going to say coming out of China, I guess not really coming out of China, but definitely has to deal with China. We mentioned on Friday that we were going to be hearing from US Trade Representative Katherine Tai today about what we're going to do with our trade relationship with China. And I have a little bit To talk about here, because Tai says that the Biden administration is launching new trade talks with China, but is still holding them accountable to their phase one obligations. Of course, the trade deal is set to expire at the end of the year, and we're sitting here at the beginning of October. And, you know, December 31st seems like a a ways away, but I'm not exactly sure what obligations from now until then that China still has to complete. But Tai does say that China. China has requirements to purchase ag products through 2025, so we definitely have some time to look at here. But she also added that China is shrinking market access for ag products. She was quoted as saying, while we have seen more exports to China in recent years, market share is shrinking and agriculture remains an unpredictable sector for farmers and ranchers who've come to rely heavily on this market. All that was really said was that Tai will soon have, quote, frank conversations with her counterpart over in China. So that's really all we have right now. Um, Definitely some of the biggest trade news that we've really seen from the Biden administration thus far, but still no definite plan. And I don't even know if we will see like a, a concrete written in stone plan. I don't know if that's normally how trade relations yeah. work, Delaney. It seems with China, it's kind of well. A-
0: I was just going to add in too. I mean, Angie's going to talk to us a little bit about this coming up here, Ashton, but really we only have until the end of this year, December 31st of 2021 to see them kind of quote unquote make good of these phase one trade commitments. And I believe last I checked, they were still quite a ways off. You know, they had promised loosely 50, 60 billion dollars over two years and we're not there. So they still have a lot of purchasing to do to meet that goal. But, you know, a big part of that too was that they were going to have some sort of part phase two. So I think that's really the wild card is, are we going to see a phase two? And if so, you know, how does the Biden administration go about making that happen? And I think there's just a lot of question marks there.
2: Exactly. And, you know, the articles that I have been reading about this, of course, I didn't watch the announcement from Representative Tai, but from the articles that I have read, none of them mentions phase two or anything of that nature. It just kind of mentions that Tai is going to be having these frank conversations with her Chinese counterpart. So I guess we're just going to have to, again, wait and see. But it feels like we've been waiting quite some time now.
0: Ashton, just switch tracks a little bit here. You know, we've talked quite a bit lately on the podcast about the ever-increasing cost of farmland and farm value. And we know that things are at some pretty record high times, but we saw a private firm put out an estimate, put out a survey, I should say, of the best states to start a farm or ranch in right now. And while prices are still at some pretty high levels, they ranked Iowa as number seven on their charts of the best states to start or farm or ranch. Uh, Montana was ranked first, Kansas, North Dakota, Texas, your home state there was ranked fourth, followed by Oklahoma, South Dakota, and then of course Iowa in seventh place. Now I'm curious because I don't know the qualifications they used to look at these top 10 top states because as we know, farmland prices are really increasing and so from a financial standpoint I can't imagine some of these states are probably the best ones to start a farm in but they said I think over kind of the long term here that as far as like availability for markets and looking at things like viability and infrastructure these states really were some of the top top states to start farms in so Ash you and I are in prime states to go continue farming if if we so chose.
2: You know, I wouldn't mind moving to Montana and starting something up over there. I'm sure it's
0: beautiful. Yeah, you could have like a Yellowstone type of ranch. How about that? See, I don't watch Yellowstone, but I'll go ahead and take your word for it. (laughs) Well, that's not super accurate about ranching, but it is a cool show and that is definitely a cool area. It'd be a cool place to start a ranch, but you definitely need a lot of land just because, you know, they're one of the states that Year in and year out deals with quite a bit of drought and having to find uh, available acres for their cattle to graze. So from that perspective, maybe not the best, but from, you know, the quality, the beauty of it out there, I think it'd be high on my list at least. Well, Delaney, you bring up the point of
2: drought and, you know, the U.S. isn't the only country that is experiencing some intense drought right now. Our brothers up there in Canada have also been experiencing some troublesome drought this year. And unfortunately, Canada is going to have its smallest canola harvest in 13 years And that is going to be forcing importers like Japan and Mexico to either pay more or scour other countries for this oil seed. With the decrease in available Canadian canola increasing prices, customers of the world's biggest canola exporter are leaning more heavily on smaller producing countries or just going over to alternative vegetable oils such as palm and soybean oil, and that's only adding to global food inflation. Labor shortages and pests in Canada are also eating into those oil supplies. So it looks like there is going to be some trouble when it comes to these oil seeds.
0: Yeah, I've seen that story as well, continuing to see some tightening supplies there. But uh, as we know, Ashton, one market that has not seen tightening supplies, unfortunately, has been the grains and more specifically the soybean market. After last week's Wazi report, or excuse me, not Wazi report, quarterly grain stocks report, we're still seeing a lot of pressure, especially on the soybean market. Ashen, what do you say we hop over in chat markets for today? Let's do it, Delaney. Fantastic. Well, as I mentioned, soybeans really still are feeling the pressure here. We're going to chat about this with Angie Spitzer coming up. She's got a lot of good insight. I don't want to tease too much of it here, but the wind might be shifting a little bit, unfortunately, for the soybean market. But let's kick things off here first in the corn market. December contract today down three quarters of a cent to close at 540 and three quarters. The March unchanged and the day at 549 and three quarters. In the soybean pits today, the November contract down 10 and three quarters cents, sitting at 12.35 and three quarters. The January down 12 and a quarter to sit at 12.46 and a quarter. We'd had some mixed trade today as the Chicago contract finished higher. However, Kansas City finished mixed. The December Chicago contract up a penny and a quarter to hold at 7.56 and a half. December, Kansas City closed down five and a quarter cent to close at seven fifty four and a quarter. Hopping over into the livestock market today, we had a big reversal today in the live cattle complex as the October contract added $2. $2.22 and a half to close at 122.62 and a half. The D's up $2.85 to close at 128.05. Feeder cattle today also saw some continued strength as the November contract added two dollars and twelve and a half cents to close at one fifty five oh two and a half. The January up a dollar seventy to close the day out at one fifty five fifty five. Lean hogs had weakness today as the December contract shed two dollars seven cents to end at eighty three ten. The February down a dollar seventy seven and a half ending the day at eighty five fifty. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the Class Three dairy milk futures, November up twenty two cents today to close at eighteen forty two. The D Of 15 to close at 1802. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Angie Setzer. Well, folks, we are joined today by a very familiar voice to the podcast, Angie Setzer, who's joining us a little bit under different titles and terms today. Angie, it's been a little while since we've caught up with you you now launched your own new business you're kind of doing something a little different than what you were doing before tell us about your new endeavor
1: yeah so i am i'm kind of doing the same thing but different yeah like you said i mean i i had been at the elevator uh, I've been in the business for 17 years and been at the elevator for the last 10 or so and really struggled. We've built this entire business model or I built this entire business model on helping the farmer learn to trade his his or her space like an elevator and really work to be this unbiased sort of um, agent for the grower. You know, it kind of been my, my business model all along. And one day I kind of had one of those sort of uh, moments where it was like, how can I do what's best for the grower and do what's best for the employer when the employer is the one that kind of cuts my paycheck. And really, to a certain extent, you have a fiduciary responsibility to both parties, and then you can have the ethical quandary as to which party, you know, becomes more important. And so I, I had approached a few growers uh, that I had worked with and kind of floated the idea that, hey, what if we do, you know, what, what I had done before, but instead of me working for the elevator and and trying to make a margin per bushel for that elevator, we look at just charging a, an acreage-based uh, fee up front. You know what you're paying, and and my number one job is to, to work to make you as much money as I can and, and really kind of work through the ins and outs of the cash market, what basis is doing, what spreads are doing. And from the, the big picture, take an overall look at, at what each grower is trying to accomplish from an, an overall uh, return on investment standpoint and do everything I can to to manage risk and, and provide that return uh, that they're looking for. And and then some. Um, and so I happen to, to have. But my good friend Boyd was also doing the same thing really already independently with his growers. And so it made it a little bit easier to make that jump. And, and we kind of decided what could this look like if we were to provide it to other folks from across the country with a, an additional team of, of, uh, experienced independent consultants looking to, to do the same thing that he and I were already doing. And, and Consus was born. Um, and so starting July one, we did that and, and here we are. That's awesome, Angie. I love that you're out there helping growers. I'm sure they appreciate that too. I'm curious, just a quick follow up. How did you come up with the name? Uh, Consus is actually the Roman god of protecting grain and storage, and so it was a pretty easy, um, a pretty easy. I was like, oh my gosh, I think it's destiny, you know. And and so yeah, <laughs> that's, that's cool. because that is our our goal. Is you know, as we see time move on, I I think on farm storage continues to grow, and and I think there's you know, extreme value in having someone who isn't trying to buy your grain help you decide what the best market structure is. And and that's not to say that your grain buyer up the road doesn't have, um, you know, your interest at heart. I think they do, but there, there's always kind of that sort of, like I said, ethical quandary of how do I pay both part or how do I make the most money for both parties? And so, uh, in this, it really kind of provides us the ability to, to, uh, uh, dance through the market and, and try to do everything we can to, to provide the grower with the most return on those bins and on the, the crop they're trying to produce.
2: Well, Angie, I feel like this all makes sense because your Twitter handle, of course, is Goddess of Grain. So I feel like it just all goes together there.
1: Oh, I, it definitely does. Yeah, I, I it feels as though it's all come together for for a reason. And, and hopefully we'll see that reason here as we, we move ahead.
2: Absolutely. And I'm going to move things ahead here to talk about markets, Market Monday after all. And I wanted to kick things off talking about soybeans because we've seen the continued pressure in the bean market. So what's going on there? Why are we still seeing the soybean markets remain under that pressure?
1: Yeah, I think we're, we're really kind of I described it to a friend earlier is like the weekend at Bernie's moment in the bean market. And and unfortunately, uh, beans are Bernie in this one. I, I think when it comes down to it, what we've seen take place in, in the bean market is a, a pretty incredible fundamental shift, you could say, in the sense that we went from an idea that we were going to end up with less than 100 million bushel worth of carry out in the old crop year, that 2020, 2020 2021 uh, crop year. You know, a lot of folks at the start of the year and as we worked our way into summer thought that, that we were looking at that potential, you know, below 100 million bushel, only to have the USDA come out uh, late last week and, and say our old crop carryout was actually 256 million bushel. And so it's a pretty dramatic shift in, in old crop carryout, which has direct influence into new crop supply availability, obviously, because it's a beginning stocks number. And so we basically saw about 81 million bushel just kind of get tossed into that market overnight. Uh, We are seeing a continuation of of slowdowns in in exports. Right now we're running about 200 million bushel behind last year's pace. Now, obviously we had a hurricane, you know, we're dealing with some of that stuff, but the biggest concern starts to come into play that we have this 81 million bushel increase in in overall supply availability, potentially larger yields as most folks out there that are are deep into soybeans by now are, are saying that they have one of the better crops Um, they've ever had, you know, outside of those much drier pockets that we had, and and it's sprinkled throughout the the Corn Belt. So we're looking at that potential for beginning stocks to increase, production to increase from where we currently are. And then obviously, there's a worry that we could see exports fall, um, you know, from where the current expectations are, if we aren't able to really kind of pick up that slack and and get those beans moving, or at least figure out a way to extend uh, the export window. Because right now we are seeing Brazil, you know, the Brazilian planters are starting to roll. Some of their, uh, you know, some of that rainfall that's much needed is, has fallen down there. It's a very different sort of scenario than what we were looking at a year ago, you know, and so the potential is there as well that we could see new crop beans out of Brazil coming into the global pipeline, you know, as early as February, whereas last year it was late March, early April. And so Soybeans kind of have this incredible shift away from these extremely bullish fundamentals that we saw a year ago to lukewarm at best. Um, but the reality is, you know, we are still seeing them under pressure, but they're managing well for what they're looking at from an overall fundamental situation, thanks to some of the strength that we've been seeing, mm-hmm. you know, in corn and in wheat.
0: So I need to steal your terminology there. Lukewarm fundamentals right now. So, kind of a two part question for you. One. You know, with all these lukewarm fundamentals that you mentioned there, where do we see a level of support? I mean, we've really given up a lot since last week's report. So where do we see that area of support that you are looking to see if we break under? And second part is, do you think a post-harvest rally is out of the question now, given some of these fundamentals that have shifted?
1: Yeah, I think right now the hardest part in the chart, you know, based on most of the folks that I talked to that are are really close chart watchers is that, you know, one of the things that we saw is once we broke out above, I think it was like an 1180, you know, when the market first started heading that direction, you know, once we, we broke through that sort of 1180 heading towards $12 resistance, there really wasn't anything left to break through. You know what I mean? And so everyone kind of had talked about that. Like once we start to the high side, we're not going to stop. And unfortunately to a certain extent, it's almost looking that way in beans. I think today, you know, we saw in the November, 1235, catch it and hold it. Um, that ended up being the the low side. We did close right at that level today. So it's super important for us to kind of hold that 1235 range, try to push us back up towards that high side, 1280 or so. Um, but if I think we fail at the 1235, then you could see the test of the obvious psychological number of $12 kind of come into play next um i do think we could potentially see a rally um post harvest but i do worry that at the same time like i said the fundamental situation is very different than than what it was before and in a lot of that i think it's going to depend entirely upon you know what we figure out from a production standpoint you know you are seeing you know the spreads are indicating that the market cash market as a whole is is relatively bearish as well i think we saw you know nove nove actually went out to a slight carry today and that at one point traded at a $2 inverse and we saw like nove july i think's out to to 40 cents and so the market is providing you incentive to put the beans away and hold them until after harvest but it's not necessarily guaranteeing that the futures um have to rally much from where they are you know with everything that we're taking into consideration right now it, it's going to take a brazilian production issue um with la nina coming about that it, that could happen um but it is going to take a pretty major brazilian production issue to to give us any true strong pop above current levels you know and and work our way back towards that whole infamous beans in the teens thing
0: Mm-hmm. So, Andrew, then what about the corn side of things? Because it feels like soybeans really have in the spotlight as of late. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really have a favorable report last
1: week for corn, but it definitely wasn't as bearish as the soybeans report. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the corn number came in a little bit larger than expected, but reality is with corn, you know, one of the things that you're seeing, like I said, is that wheat is trading up towards, you know, recent contract highs there. We are seeing Chicago wheat trade in that 750 range, and that's really helping us to stay supported to a certain extent. You know, oats, no, has always been the line, and, and oats have stayed strong. I mean, small grains as a whole have been relatively strong thanks to the drought that we saw out in Western Canada and some of those issues. You know that we saw really kind of trade out uh or go go over the year you know we ran into some really big production issues there and and um have seen some reduction in in available supply in wheat we've issues in Russia and we've got some other uh feed wheat you know larger than expected feed wheat out of France, less milling quality. Global supplies continue to shrink on the wheat side, and so that's really what's holding on up corn energies and, and wheat, you know, and, and so that's what's keeping corn supported. And in the question remains, you know, what are we looking at for next year when it comes to production? Obviously, fertilizer costs have nearly doubled, if not doubled just about everywhere for 2022. You know, there's a lot of talk that we could see a reduction in planted acres at that point. And obviously with the carryout where it is, you know, we're still only a, a one four or so from a carryout standpoint. And we got to get further into harvest, make sure that the yields are there. Uh, you know, there are some, some more bullish private analysts pointing towards their private, uh, uh, yield, uh, programs saying that we are. You know sub 170 or something like that. I mean, they they very rarely show their math, but it's still something that is staying in the back of the minds of traders, you know, with some of this conversation that some crops in Illinois have come in less than expected. There's been some some issues with tar spot in the Eastern Corn Belt and some of these other things. And so there's still a little bit in the way of a risk premium in corn as well, I would say, with the idea that, you know, we are Only a quarter of the way through harvest and we're not 100% certain as to what production will look like there. We don't have the, um, as impending sort of 500 pound gorilla in the room, meaning the Brazilian soybean harvest is going to come a lot sooner than Brazilian corn, you know, and we're still really kind of running on fumes from a global standpoint when it comes to corn overall after what we saw take place in South America from a production standpoint, you know, last year. And so corn is, is really getting a lot of Support on the outside, you know, like I said, with wheat and energies and, and other things like that, you know, the biggest thing that we have to really watch in corn going forward is, is what the sales pace does look like. You know, what is China going to do? Are they going to take delivery? Are they not going to take delivery? Are they going to buy more? Are they not going to buy more? And that's really going to be probably what make breaks the, the corn market outside of any sort of production updates that we get, you know, this month and, and next.
2: Angie, I'm glad you bring up China here because we just heard from Trade Representative Tai earlier today talking about how the administration is going to be launching new trade talks with China. They're still going to be held accountable for their phase one obligations, yada, yada, yada. Um, You know, their requirements to purchase ag products are going to be through 2025. But China is shrinking market access for ag products. So with that being said, what do you think? the future kind of might look like here? Do you have any insight on that since this is just really hitting the, the news wires earlier this morning?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, last year, I think there were a lot of signs and, and I fell victim to it and I can can easily sit and admit it that there were a lot of signs in the Chinese cash market that indicated that there there was not, they weren't lying when it came to the idea that they were going to be importing massive amounts of corn and soybeans. You know, we saw, Government auction, uh, figures of hundred percent and prices continuing to rise and, and things of that nature. And, and I would say this year is almost the opposite. I think the largest amount of corn that we've seen sold, uh, by the, the Chinese government and in, in the government auction since June was like 35%. You know, there may have been an outlier where they got up into that 75%. But I know as, as of a couple of weeks ago, you know, we were averaging around 29% of the corn offered by the government purchased, you know, and, and granted, there's a whole host of, of wild cards or or issues that could be you know as a as a part of that but i think at this point you know what we're really kind of seeing is a, a concern that um you know i feel like china has been far more of an aggressor with the the taiwan situation here as of late i think we saw the biggest incursion of jets into taiwanese airspace happen over the weekend there was a little bit of a tit for tat uh, this morning back and forth between taiwan and and china and the u.s and and And, you know, and so there's some real issues I feel that are, are starting to develop from a geopolitical standpoint. And that's not even getting started on what the heck is going on with the energy situation there. Like, what, what are we doing? What is, what is this and what does it mean? And, and what will it result in long-term, you know, as well as their financial crisis that they're really dealing with. Um, you know, we got Evergrande and, and I think they had another uh, large real estate developer um, miss a, a note payment again today as well. And so right now China's on holiday for the next week. Um, there is some question that you know we are going to see some pretty stout buying come into place because everyone 's been talking about how short the the private is there um when it comes to to having beans to crush, but obviously they don 't need beans to crush if they if they don 't have the the power to run the crushing uh plants the crush plants so i i I wish I could say that I had a, any sort of inkling into, to what China is doing, but I feel like any sort of idea that I get into it, it's going to involve me having to put on a tinfoil hat. And, and I think <laughs> I'll save that for the, for a different crowd. But I mean, there's just a lot that's taking place. And, and I think that's one of the things that's kind of been quietly sort of lurking under the yeah. surface is that December 30th. We've won, you know, phase one is, is, is up as far as I know. I mean, I, I think the Biden administration plans on continuing to negotiate or, or looking to extend it or, you know, and they're going to hold their feet to the fire as to what's happening there, but it's completely up for negotiation again. And, and so it'll, it'll make us wonder, it makes me wonder, you know, what does this look like? Was this a one and done sort of thing from an export standpoint or was it not? And I think, you know, unfortunately, when it comes down to it, I think a lot of the, the expected increase in exports via the USDA right now is based entirely upon China, at least being, uh, well within the realm of where it was a year ago on, on imports. And right now, most signs indicate that that's not the case. Now we'll see what happens over the next couple, three weeks here. But, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty as to, to what this is going to look like with, with China as we move ahead. And, and so, um, I mean, it, it puts your buckle your seatbelts. I mean, I think that mm. if we thought it was crazy in 2018 and 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 19 and into 20, when it, we were negotiating the first phase of of the the you know trade war or trade solution there, I, I think you know round two is with the current administration that we have. It's probably going to be even crazier.
0: Yeah, it certainly is, and really, this is kind of a big first move we've seen the Biden administration make as far as China. So it's going to be interesting to see how things unfold here. We might have some unhappy producers, Angie, over the next couple of months, but I want to switch tracks a little bit here. We might have some happy beef producers today because we certainly saw a major reversal. And I know a day doesn't make a reversal, but we saw a big jump today in the December live cattle contract.
1: Do you think we've put in the low for a while or was today just a correction? Well, I think we have probably found ourselves in a, in a situation where we've established the low end of the recent range for, for a while. I think there's a lot of reason as to why, you know, we should see some continued, continued support to beef. I think demand remains relatively steady. And, and I think that, you know, obviously high feed costs and things of that nature have kind of started to do what they are. "Quote unquote," supposed to do with some of these reductions in production, and so I think you know when it comes down to it, beef cattle, you know, cattle has been one of the the uh, last uh, holdouts when it comes to getting really aggressive with value, and so it it it's possible we could see some some continued upside from there. You know, I'll really be continuing to to pay attention to cash more than anything, but I I think. For the most part, you could say that in the short term, at least, we've probably found the downside level of the range. That doesn't mean we don't head back that way and trade around that way for a while, but uh, I think we found where support starts to come in.
0: And Angie, lastly, I wanted to ask you another big event we saw today was on the oil side of things with uh, the recent announcement today about OPEC. What do you make of all that? Do we have some support for oil? I mean, you couple that with energy issues going on in China, like you mentioned, there's just a lot at play there as well.
1: Yeah, I think oil's going to get the story. You know, like you said, you've got the energy issues with China. You've got your energy issues in Europe. You've got, you know, some reduction in overall uh, availability of, of supply. OPEC's decided to leave their, their, you know, well enough alone. Um, and so you did see the Biden administration, um, come out today and say they will do whatever it takes to keep fuel prices, um, and oil prices low. Um, And so what does that look like? I mean, at this point, anything that they've tried really hasn't done it. You know, the verbal talking down, et cetera, et cetera. And so from an overall standpoint, you know, do we start to see them release um, some volumes out of reserves? Do we start to see some incentivization of, of uh, domestic production come back into play? You know, are there any sort of opportunities where some of these folks can start to bring uh, some of these uh, wells back on that they had taken off? Obviously, that's not an overnight thing. And so I think a lot of folks are going to be looking to the administration to provide some sort of long-term security in the sense that if you spend the money to, to bring this production back online, we're going to. Ensure you know a certain level of of uh, uh, you know guaranteed income or whatever. Like obviously that's not how things are supposed to work, but I think anymore over the last decade it's kind of what we in the you know what certain folks in the industry have become accustomed to, and so it is possible that we can to a certain extent kind of turn this thing around and and really kind of. Push, um, some supply into the marketplace. But, You know, I think as a whole, until we can get our arms around what the heck is taking place from the supply chain disruption and, and what this means, you know, for other forms of, of energy out there, coal, et cetera. You know, I think that, that oil probably stays supported, you know, and I think it feeds into the inflation talk. Um, and I think that's part of the reason you're seeing corn, soybeans and wheat also stay supported is that's not gone anywhere. You know, inflation levels are, are at multi-decade highs. Um, You know, we've got to figure out how that kind of gets trimmed back. And and, until we see some sort of major policy shift from the Fed, you know, and not just a conversation about it, I think we do see all of these commodities stay relatively supported, if not elevated in, in the meantime.
2: Well, Angie, it has been just lovely to have you on and catch up with you. It had been quite some time, so we definitely appreciate you coming on and chatting markets with us. I mentioned your Twitter handle earlier, but just once again, for our audience members who don't already follow you, where can they find you at online?
1: Yep. You can find me on Twitter at Goddess of Grain, or you can email me at Angie at ConsusROI.com.
2: Thanks again there to Angie for coming on and talking markets with us today. It's been some time since we've had her on, so I'm glad we were able to get her in, Delaney.
0: Yeah, me too. and certainly excited to see what she's doing there with her new company. I like the name, Consys. I like the meaning behind it, so certainly wish Angie all the best. Absolutely, Delaney. But
2: for anyone who wants to tune in for the rest of the week, because we are going to be talking a lot about harvest crops, those kinds of things. So while you're out in the fields, definitely give us a listen at agnewsdaily.com and be sure to follow along on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Facebook and Instagram seem to be down right now, unfortunately. But while they're back up, go ahead and follow us at agnewsdaily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.